The issues that matter most, right here. The Drew Mariani Show. On Relevant Radio. The House has impeached Homeland Security Chief Alejandro Mayorkas in a historic vote. After a failed attempt just last week, Republicans managed to narrowly win enough support on two articles of impeachment over the handling of the border crisis. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Well, good afternoon. It's good to be with you. Happy Ash Wednesday. Happy St. Valentine's Day. And Hope you can hang out with me. we got a lot to get into today. I'm going to dive in a little later to an issue that um, kind of scared me a little bit. It's an article called The Fewness of Those Who Are Saved. I don't necessarily agree totally with it, but boy, when you get done doing it, listening to it, it's sobering. And I thought during Lent, this would be a great, well, a great opportunity for us to really reflect on our lives, maybe to do even greater penance, certainly draw closer to Christ. And I'll fill you in what the church is requiring from all of us. Um, well, in fact, let me tell you now, right? Well, I just I'll plug you in if you, um, if you're not aware if, and you are Catholic, I really invite you to fast. Uh, we have specific requirements as Catholics. If you're between the ages of 18 and 59, you're called to fast. There's some exceptions. You know, health conditions play a role in a lot of that. If it prevents you from fasting, that's one thing. But fundamentally, you know, if, you, if you're between 18 and 59, this is what the church requires of us. I know people over 59 who still do this. And and I think you should. I mean, if you're in good health, come on. During the season of Lent, um, we're required to, to fast two times, Ash Wednesday, Good Friday, right? Uh, the church defines fasting as eating only one full meal and two smaller meals that together equal the size of the one full meal. Does that make sense to you? It's pretty clear, right? I hope so. I'll repeat it because that's, that's always the key. So, well, fasting, what am I supposed to do? I fast differently. I try, I try not to eat at all or just, you know, it's water or it's just, you know, maybe maybe something very modest like a piece of bread. That's how I sometimes fast. That's not what the church asks. They're not asking you to torture yourself, right? Um, they just say, if you're going to eat your full meal, yeah, make it a make it a modest meal, a regular meal or smaller. I mean, I think you should do something sacrificial. Then your other meals, if you're going to have breakfast and lunch, well, they should also combined not be larger than that one meal. So uh, it's not that complex, but this is about penance. It's about sacrifice. It's about offering to God, um, you know, a sacrifice. So we're so easy on ourselves sometimes. Um, You know, we're required, of course, to abstain from meat on today and Good Friday and all Fridays during Lent. So don't forget that either. So, okay, let's have a small hamburger today then. No, that's that's probably not going to work. All right, put the meatloaf away. <laughs> you, know, you can't have that today. Not today, not Good Friday, not during not during Lent. And I think it's a great witness, too. I think it's a wonderful witness to others. You know, when you're out at a restaurant or you're you're out someplace, you know, it shows your, your devotion. And I think it's also a great opportunity sometimes to talk about your faith. But it's important to note that the Catholic Church's requirements for fasting, they're intended as a form of spiritual discipline rather than, you know, these onerous rules. And you're to approach fasting with a spirit of generosity, a spirit of love for God, rather than some burdensome obligation. But again, today we are called to fast. You know, one meal, the two others combined should not be larger than that. Just putting it on your radar, all right? I'll remind you again a little bit later if you missed it. And it's never too late to start. You might have said, oh, I forgot, darn, you know, Drew, it's, uh, I had lunch. And so it's okay. You know, make it up. 
make some sort of other sacrifice up. And and you maybe offer it up not just for your own personal conversion. I think that's really important or for those you love. Let's let's pray for our country. I think our country needs it more than ever. And and I say that a lot. It's kind of a mess, isn't it? I mean, we heard uh, audio in the very beginning of the show um, uh, regarding the impeachment of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, and and they won that vote by a single vote. D- does it really matter? No. I mean, the impeachment it's not going to it's not going to get anywhere. But I, what it is, it's a public spanking. I think a public discipline, if you will. The the impeachment accuses Mayorkas of failing to comply with the law by allowing aliens to cross our border and then implementing the old catch and release scheme where people get caught but then they're released without any kind of supervision. I mean, some of the court dates are 10 years from now, you know, allowing people with criminal records to stay in the country, even though they were deportable and by abusing the, you know, this, his parole authority. So the action goes to the Senate, the democratic majority in the Senate will dismiss it. But I think it's interesting. Here's a little bit more, a little in deep or in deep, a, a deeper look at the story. Check it out. This was a squeaker. So Republicans needed 214 yes votes to pass this. They got exactly that, 214, no margin for error. They had to pass this by bringing back their number two Republican, Steve Scalise, who was absent for the last time Republicans voted on this when it failed in pretty dramatic fashion last week. He's been out receiving cancer treatment. But with him back and his uh, assured yes vote, Republicans were able to put this over the goal line. Remember, the argument that Republicans have been making is that Mayorkas violated Violated U.S. immigration law by not taking a more hardline stance uh, on border security. The administration says that this is a political stunt. DHS says this is baseless. The Senate can hold a trial on the Senate floor, as we saw during the Trump impeachments. They can hold a trial in a committee, meaning it wouldn't be on the Senate floor and it wouldn't interrupt the day-to-day business of the Senate. Or they could just move quickly to dismiss this. No matter what path they choose, again, it's a body controlled by Democrats and even Republicans in the Senate have expressed a lot of skepticism about the constitutionality of impeaching Mayorkas based upon what they say is a policy disagreement rather than a high crime and misdemeanor. So it's a foregone conclusion at this hour that Mayorkas will not be removed from his job and will likely be acquitted by the Senate. It's all about the optics. It's about frustration. It's about trying, I think, to ultimately send a message. I hope we get the border issue right soon. And again, we have to balance that with love for the migrant, right? But we also have to balance that with love for our fellow American and the safety of this country with fentanyl and, and drugs and MS-13 and so many other problems coming across the border. I remember George Santos. He's the served in New York, third congressional district there. He was ousted by the House because of his conduct of well, unbecoming of a House member, and it set up a special election. I mean, he, of course, he lied his... He lied. Uh, how am I going to say this? Well, he inflated his resume. And his, <laughs> let's just do it that way. I'm going to try to be charitable. Uh, well, the Democrats in the House picked up another seat yesterday. Voters decided that the Democrat, uh, Tom uh, Susie, who was um, he held the seat, I think, for six years before Santos was elected. Um, it narrows the Republicans hold on the, the House to six seats and three vacant seats and um, here's a little bit more audio about this seat now turning blue and ultimately what it might mean for the future of our country. Listen. There is 
one less Republican lawmaker in Congress, a New York House seat held by Republican George Santos, who was expelled from the House over ethics violations, has flipped from red to blue. Democrat Tom Zwazi defeating Republican candidate Mozzie Pillup. And it wasn't close. Zwazi up by more than 10 points over the Republican challenger who conceded. This election narrowed the Republican majority in the House to just six seats. Yeah, you know, it was interesting about Santos, too. And I understand people not wanting to let him go just because of the balance of power. Uh, but this guy, uh, you know, he's facing 23 federal charges for everything from aggravated theft to wire fraud to conspiracy, which he has pled not guilty. Okay, he has pled, and we'll see how it all shakes out. But uh, that's the latest. We'll we'll see. We'll see what ultimately comes down there. Hey, um, one one other thing that I found kind of well, I found that interesting was the American College of Pediatricians have actually released a survey of more than sixty studies that they show that there's no evidence supporting claims of the so-called gender affirming care for kids with gender dysphoria that it works, and the study. Well, it says there's no long-term evidence that social transition, puberty blockers, and cross-sex hormones offer improvement in mental health for these young people. So Catholic Vote was reporting on this, and they said that the researchers observed that adolescents with gender dysphoria, they exhibit mental health concerns such as depression and suicidal ideation, both before and after the transgender social and, and medical intervention. Uh, it's a It's a sad situation. Talk to those who have you know, crossed over who, who are transgender. I mean, the suicide rate is, it's off the charts for them. Um, if you have somebody in your life that struggles with this, do what you can uh, to speak truth to them and to get them the help that they, they ultimately need. Maggie, you and I were talking about Tucker Carlson a, a little bit earlier. What was he saying about this? I didn't get a chance to hear his audio. Did he address this issue? He has, uh, he has a piece that he basically is saying, um, you know, in the past, revolutions came with a loud bang. Yeah. Um, and this has been a revolution in our society that has sort of snuck up on us. The transgender movement? Uh, this transgender movement yeah. and gender-affirming care by, by these professionals. So uh, here it is. Sure. In your head, you always imagine the revolution, when it starts, will start with tanks and gunfire, with chaos and soldiers in the street. You'll know when it comes. But it never does. Instead, the really big changes to American life, the profound ones that affect all of us forever, those changes almost always begin quietly with gentle pleas for tolerance. We'd like to do things a little differently, they tell you. We'd like to make a change to some customer belief that people have been attached to for the last few thousand years. But don't be alarmed. It's not a big deal. You don't even need to participate. All we ask is that you let us live the way we want to live. That's always the pitch. And of course, you always agree to it. Why wouldn't you? Who could say no to that? Some guy down the street wants to wear a dress? Okay, fine. Have a party. It doesn't affect you. You don't have to wear a dress. So go ahead. Live and let live. But it turns out that's never actually the deal. The guy down the street wears his dress, but after a while, that's not enough for him. He's still angry. And for some reason, he's angry with you. And that doesn't make sense because you're the person who had no problem with him wearing a dress in the first place. What did you do wrong? Well, the problem is you're not wearing a dress and neither are your kids. 
Your normal person clothes, the ones you've always worn, are suddenly immoral. You've got to change immediately. Whoa, wait a second, you say. That's not what we agreed to. You do your thing and I'll do mine. Remember? <laughs> they don't remember. They don't care. That's not how it works. You don't get to do your thing anymore. The dress guy's in charge now. Everybody's got to do his thing, the dress thing, or face punishment. I thought, Maggie, that's a great clip that you ran. I think it's so it's so accurate in this respect. It's something I've been saying for a long time. You know, we live in a culture where everybody wants you to tolerate every ideology, every practice, and every behavior, right? We live in a, a culture where there is this dictatorship of relativism, where your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. And, you know, you have to accept what I believe and the way I behave. And when you don't, you see the exact opposite, right? There is no tolerance for your Christian beliefs. There's no tolerance for your position on the sanctity of life or marriage or anything else. Unless you go along with what their ideology is, there is no tolerance on that side of the aisle. But they want everybody to tolerate everything else. I, I think it's interesting, Drew, because the tolerance always lands on the side of depravity. It's always so true. It's always you have to so tolerate true. this weird thing. But as soon as you talk to anyone about chastity, about priesthood, about religious life, making true sacrifices, they go, that's not natural. Yeah. How that's that's gross. That's not natural. Humans aren't supposed to live that way. And it's like, wait a second. I thought you were championing every every kind of uh, sexual right. thing out there, and and you you you're being intolerant towards chastity and sacrifice. Yep. Interesting. It's a, it's such a great point, Maggie. Such a great point. Yeah, there's a great spirit of intolerance for from those who champion tolerance. Well, I've got to change gears here. I, I think we see a crisis here. I think there's a longing in the human heart for, for God, and people long to fill it with other things, right? They long to fill it with you know, with sex and with money and with power and things that they think is going to give them satisfaction. And as a result of it, I mean, we're living in a culture right now, I think, where, where loneliness is rampant. My heart goes out to anyone who struggles with any of those types of issues, um, what we're seeing is is pretty interesting right now. Uh, today, a lot of lonely people are turning to to prescription medication, and we'll talk about that. Um, the Surgeon General uh, Vivek Murth, uh, Murthy said that there is an epidemic of loneliness, a problem that leads to a twenty nine percent increase in heart disease, a thirty two percent increase risk of stroke, a 50% increased risk of developing dementia for older, older, you know, adults. And then additionally, lacking social connection increases the risk of premature death by more than 60%. Uh, those are stunning numbers. And it's sad. There are a lot of lonely people, a lot of lonely people. Uh, here's a clip from Lori Santos, a psychology professor at Yale. On what she's seeing, she argues there is a growth of loneliness today in our society. 
I mean, it's pretty bad. It's often talked about as an epidemic. You know, some surveys reveal that around 60% of people in the U.S. right now report feeling lonely on a pretty regular basis. Um, and that's that's pretty devastating from a public health perspective, right? This is worse than rates of obesity. This is worse than rates of diabetes. And everything we know suggests that loneliness might be as big of a public health threat in terms of like the effect that it has on our bodies and our minds. There's lots of evidence that they've been increasing linearly since the 1970s, right? You know, and that's long long before the pandemic, that's actually long before some of the other culprits, things like cell phones and so on. And so I think the evidence really points to the fact that there are probably a lot of causes going on at once, but those things are bringing to, are coming together to really make us a much more unhappy and a much more isolated kind of population right now. Yeah, and it's not just a U.S. thing, as she points out. There was a meta gallop uh, taken across 142 countries that found that nearly a quarter of those surveyed feel very or fairly lonely, and the highest was among young people. I'm joined today by Regina Boyd. She's a licensed mental health counselor and a marriage and family therapist in Orlando, Florida. She's out with a brand new book. You may want to check this out, especially if someone in your life is is struggling in this area. Uh, it's called Leaving Loneliness Behind, Five Keys to Experiencing and Building Healthy Connections with Others. And I think it's a must for today. Uh, you can find her at her website. It's reginaboyd.com. Regina, good afternoon. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Let's uh, start, if we could, with a diagnosis. Um, why is there such a disconnection today? W what do you see driving these numbers? Has it always been this way? We just have better reporting? Or are there things facilitating or exacerbating this uh, these numbers? I think there are things exacerbating the numbers. I think we're busier than ever. We are just, especially with technology, with what's speeding that up, it just makes us more available to one another and less available for our family and friends and the people we care about. And so I think it exacerbates it. I, but there's so many factors. I think part of that too is we've forgotten a little bit about how to connect and just those basic needs of being with one another. Yeah, are, are people lonely in marriage as well? I, you know, I'm sure some spouses might might feel, hey, I'm in this relationship, but I, I'm still lonely. It's not about necessarily just companionship, is it? It's not about being single. So I, I think one of the, the keys to overcoming loneliness is vulnerability, you know? And if you're vulnerable, it means you can get hurt, and that hurt can come from somebody even as close as your spouse. So how do you address those issues? Yeah, I agree 100%. You can be married, you can be in a room or a house full of people and still feel lonely. We all experience loneliness, so this is not relegated to single people or people, you know, in nursing homes or something like that. This is really for everyone. We all have this human existence and experience, and I think it comes to the fact that we're designed for relationships. God made us for relationships. He made us like himself. We believe in a God who is a trinity, who exists eternally in relationship as father, son, and spirit. And so we uniquely in all of creation reflect this reality in our being. And so when we're connected to other people on a, in a healthy way and, and being able to develop that emotional intimacy and vulnerability, as you mentioned, then we're really acting more in the image and likeness of God and, and how we were designed to be. Um, I think in marriage in particular, Part of what happens is, again, we get really busy with all of our responsibilities with kids and managing a home life, but 
sometimes we don't always take the time to have meaningful conversation and really opening up. We're just more having conversations about the to-dos and getting things done. And and that really can make somebody feel distant and isolated. You know what I found striking? A couple of weeks ago, we uh, did a segment on the broadcast here. Because I was shocked by this, about the level of family estrangement, where sons and daughters are breaking off the relationship with their parents or siblings. And you know, I, I, talking to you today, I think, well, it's all part of this loneliness epidemic. What are the steps that someone can do to overcome estrangement if they have that broken relationship in their family? How can they heal that? What can they do to begin to move towards a path where they can get out of this cloud of loneliness that seems to surround them and come back into the light. Yeah, it's tricky because especially in an estrangement situation, we don't know what might have occurred. Did somebody harm someone else? And so was there a need to have such a harsh, firm barrier? And so if you're estranged and wanting to reach out to someone, I would recommend maybe a written message at first, depending on how cut off the relationship is if they're not taking your calls or something like that. But if it's just a strained relationship, you're still in contact Certainly, we want to express that desire to rebuild, and that might have to take some humility, apologizing and um, asking for forgiveness just to keep that door of communication open. But it's going to be, it's never an overnight cure. We have to have that ongoing conversation of more um, openness, vulnerability, and really taking accountability for the things that went wrong. Yeah, so so when it comes back to this issue of, of being lonely, you can be lonely at work, you can be lonely in the house, you know, around other people. Um, I, I think one of the things that we lack today is authentic connection. Uh, what, what's your thought on the lack of connection that we have today? We live in a digital world. I think that has hurt it in some respects too. But um, g- give me your take on how we can create authentic connections with others. Authentic connection is all about intentionality. I, feel, I like to think of it as you're drifting apart and together from people. So imagine yourself floating on a raft and sometimes the water brings you close together at certain seasons of your life and sometimes you drift apart. And authentic connection is really all about keeping that paddle in the water so that your rafts stay close together. Are we intentionally reaching out, connecting, scheduling time, expressing our needs when we desire to meet with somebody? Are we actually vocalizing that to them and making plans? And so an authentic connection is really about being genuine, honest, and intentional. And I would think loneliness impacts mental and physical health as well. They say it's as lethal as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. So this is a public, um, I think it's a public crisis. I only have a few moments left. I know your book is out. What's the best way to get it? And, And maybe some some final advice, some closing advice in terms of how people, if they are struggling with loneliness, what they can do to find, you know, meaning and fulfillment in life. Sure. Yeah. You can find the book at AveMariaPress.com or it's available on Amazon as well. And then anyone who is wanting to take and connect with other people, I would say, again, recognize the potential depths within your own existing relationships allowing yourself to be vulnerable so that true intimacy is possible. Being aware of your conflicts with others, how do we navigate those in a healthy way that encourages trust and openness and acknowledging the past to move forward. I also think, you know, we want to be mindful of 
reaching out to others. So when we notice people withdrawing from us, we want to be that tether to say, are you okay? What do you need? And, and fostering that connection with them as well. Well, I'm grateful for your work and I am very grateful for your writing. I wish we had more time to talk today, Regina, and I hope your book does very well. Thanks for making time for us today. Thank you. Thank you. That's Regina Boyd. Her book, if you want to check it, brand new and it's out. I know no one is immune from this. You may have somebody you love. It's called, uh, who's struggling with loneliness. It's called Leaving Loneliness Behind. Five keys to experiencing and building healthy connections with others. Uh, we've to scratch the service of it, but you can go to her website, reginaboyd.com or go to Ave Maria Press. They are the ones that have published it. And just a final thought on that. Uh, you know, loneliness doesn't, you know, just cloud your day with melancholy. With melancholy. It's, uh, it is tangible and it is detrimental and it can affect your health. And they found an increase in everything from stroke to dementia, to heart disease, to premature death. Um, it's a serious thing. And, you know, if you are going through this, get some help. Talk to somebody. If you have a loved one, please get them the help they need. And then I think of, you know, great saints like Mother Teresa, who lived a life of love. And she reached out to the loneliest people, the most forsaken. And she would remind them. That didn't matter the fact that they were sore ridden or they, they smelled, they were lying in filth, they were dying. She reminded them of their inherent worth and the fact that God loved them and God was present in their lives. So as we struggle in a culture where loneliness is rampant, um, I would encourage you to, to perform a beautiful work of mercy and reach out to those that are lonely. Visit the homebound, right? If you know somebody in your life who's struggling with that or a friend or a colleague, take that extra step. Be like Mother Teresa, right? The Gospel of John commands us to do what? To love one another as I have loved you. Um, we see these stats. We hear these stories. We go about our lives. But we're called to Christian charity. And uh, maybe the Lord's speaking to you today. Maybe there's somebody in your life. And you can make a difference in theirs. I need to take a short pause. When we come back, we can talk a little bit more Um you know, here's one other thing that I, I do want to talk about. It's kind of tangential to this. Um, we have so many people today on SSRIs, right? Uh, the, there's, gosh, so many people on antidepressants. Um, they're being, being prescribed with greater frequency. There seems to be now a connection to suicide and these prescriptions. So I want to talk about that. Overprescribed suicides are haunting the dubious approval of antidepressants. Article that was in the Epic Times just recently. I it put this on my radar. I'll share it with you when I come back. You want to hear this? Stay with me. All the issues, all the topics, one place. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, join Father Rocky this September for a pilgrimage to Poland and Prague. You'll visit the lands of St. John Paul the Great, St. Faustina, Our Lady of Czestochowa, and the Infant Child of Prague. Seats are limited. Information at RelevantRadio.com slash Poland. That's RelevantRadio.com slash Poland. I was an absolute mess, wanting to take my life, like, continually. I got, I read the leaflet, and I was getting exactly what it said. You know, I was getting kind of seizure-like symptoms where um, my muscles were kind of jolting around of their own accord and I felt disorientated and 
sick and had digestive problems and infections and I mean it's really really extreme. The Drew Mariani show on Relevant Radio. I just rubbed my ashes with my finger. I didn't realize it was on my head. <laughs> my hands are black. All right. <laughs> I was wondering what was on my forehead. I forgot I got my ashes today. Good afternoon. It's good to be here with you today. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, boy. <laughs> I got it through me a little bit. I sound like Father Simon now, don't I? It's good to be here with you. Hey, we're talking a little bit. Uh, try to shine a light if you will, on this epidemic uh, that's gripping our nation, this epidemic of loneliness. We've talked a little bit about it, but I want to give you a twist on it. Uh, there are consequences for reaching a pill to cure what ultimately ails the soul. And we're seeing an overprescription right now of antidepressants. And and as a result, I believe, and we're going to speak to an expert, Dr. Leonard Sachs is going to be joining me. There's been a haunting reality of suicides that question the link. I mean, is it possible? I, it, because man, we're seeing so many young kids today take their lives. It's it's tragic and it's sad. You know, if you were to go to your general practitioner for checkup today, and, and you, you know, they they'd ask you, "Hey, are you feeling depressed? Are you feeling anxious?" And if you said, "Yeah," the doctor might say, "Well, here, let me give you something for that. Maybe he'll give you Xanax or Prozac or Zoloft or, or something to help you." Right? Those drugs are part of a class called Selective Serotonin Reuptake Inhibitors, or SSRIs. And they're supposed to increase the amount of hormone, you know, the, the, the serotonin in your brain. And the pharmaceutical industry, of course, presents the drugs as being safe and effective. And I don't want to poo-poo them. I'm not the physician. You'll be hearing from one. We can talk about it. If you've got somebody that's on them, or you are, you can join the conversation. The number to get in, 888-914-9149. Maybe you're concerned about somebody you love. What we're not hearing, though, what they're not sharing with the public is that these SSRIs are being overprescribed. I was sharing with Maggie, I saw a report somewhere that one in eight Americans are on them. One in eight. One market research firm told the, uh, you know, he, he said that the total market for antidepressants was more than $15 billion in 2022. Is 20, they, they think it's going to be $23 billion by 2030. So it's on the rise. But ironically, the, the drugs are probably contributing uh, possibly to high suicide rates. I mentioned the Epic Times. They did a report on a Danish physician who started looking at the data that the pharmaceutical companies were gathering during their trials. And what they found was that the companies were telling the public in their published you know, studies, um, for, for, for example, let me, I'll give you a, a quick one and then we'll get our guest on here. Eli Lilly, the maker of Prozac, they did a couple of studies on children and adolescents, but they neglected to say in the published results was that in a small study of 48 kids, two of them attempted to take their lives. And two-thirds experienced adverse effects. Why aren't we hearing that? Do you have kids on these things? There was a larger study. It found that kids who experienced mania or agitation or hyperactivity or physical aggression or personality disorders, even though the published results said the kids tolerated it well, those were some of the side effects. So... Um, it's not just kids. I know a lot of adults who are on those as well. And I'm joined today by Dr. Leonard Sachs, a very gifted psychologist, a physician from Exton, Pennsylvania, author of a number of books. You can check them out. Uh, and you can certainly find more about him at leonardsachs.com. That's S-A-X, leonardsachs.com. Doctor, always good to have you on the air with me. Thank you for your time once again. 
Thanks for inviting me. So in layman's terms, um, explain the drugs, explain these SSRIs and what they're supposed to do and what some of these studies are now revealing. Absolutely. So selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors are the most popular class of medications for depression in the United States. And we're talking Prozac, Paxil, uh, Luvox, Celexa, uh, uh, Ezetalopram, uh, Lexapro. Uh, these are the market leaders, uh, very popular. Uh, began with Prozac uh, way back in the 1980s. Uh, and you know, as a family doctor, I have prescribed these medications on many occasions. Uh, but it's only recently that we've come to realize, whoa, uh, the treatment may be worse than the disease. Uh, because as you pointed out, the drug companies were not entirely honest in the way they published some of their research. Uh, but we've also learned something that wasn't mentioned in the article that you described, and that's you can't get off these things. When you, when you are on these medications and then you try to stop, you get terrible, terrible uh, symptoms. Uh, we even have a mnemonic we teach in medical schools now. It's finished, F-I-N-S-H. I, uh, flu-like, F, flu-like symptoms like uh, fatigue and lethargy and muscle aches, insomnia, nausea, uh, imbalance, meaning vertigo, lightheadedness, uh, sensory disturbances, uh, twitching and, and shocks and hyperarousal. Uh, and, and this lasts for months. Uh, and uh, the best treatment is someone says, I can't deal with this anymore. Well, start back on the medication. Uh, and very few patients are counseled by their doctors. You know, they come and say, you know, I'm feeling under the weather, you know, life, just, I'm just not living the, my best life, to use Oprah's phrase. Um, uh, oh, well, okay, try some uh, Lexapro. Everybody loves it, 10 milligram. Um, and very seldom does the doctor say, oh, and incidentally, if you take this for a couple of weeks, you may find it impossible to stop. Uh, the, these medications have many, many risks. And as you not noted, uh, there is a black box warning, meaning mm -hmm. doctors are really supposed to pay attention to this, that in individuals under 25 years of age, there's a serious risk of increase, increased risk of suicide yep. when you start the medication. So the kid comes in feeling depressed and you give him medication that actually increases yep. the risk uh, of suicide. You know, th that's to me one of the most frightening, frightening aspects of this. Why are they so difficult to get off? And if somebody says, look, I'm listening to the show and I'm going to stop taking these, uh, these you know, antidepressants, does it increase your... Does it increase depression? Does it give you suicidal ideation? Jordan Peterson, Maggie, was telling me. Maggie, open your mic. You can join the conversation, too. He, he was on them as well? He was on some severe antidepressants, and he had to go to Russia because there was no place in the U.S. that would yeah. wean him off of this antidepressant. And he, he went yeah. through, like, serious withdrawal and, like, health and, issues. And, Doctor, yeah. one of our financial no, experts no. on this network, a guy named Peter Grandage, he very publicly talked about how he was taking Xanax at one point in time, and it was unbelievable to get off. He says it was the worst thing he ever took. Okay. Now, Xanax is a completely different ca category. Was it Xanax, Maggie? I think it was. No. Go ahead. Maybe it is. Go Xanax ahead. Xanax is a benzodiazepine. So okay. that's in the same class as Valium and Ativan. Gotcha. And they indeed have their own. They're highly addictive, but they are scheduled. Okay. Uh, so, meaning the FDA has recognized that Xanax, Ativan, Valium are really dangerous medications uh, but the medications we're talking about today, Lexapro, Prozac, 
are not scheduled, uh, meaning that uh, uh, the FDA does not, uh, aside from that black box warning I, I, I noted, it's not highlighting how dangerous these medications can be. You know, years ago, Marcia Angel, uh, the editor-in-chief of the New England Journal of Medicine, posted a really interesting uh, and thoughtful contribution on this, on this whole topic. She said, you know, 100 years ago, pneumonia was the leading cause of death in the United States. Mm-hmm. And then we got antibiotics, right. medications to treat pneumonia, and now nobody dies from pneumonia. It's very rare. It's, it's, it's not in the top 10. It's, it's way down there. So you, if you introduce an effective medication, the thing you're t- treating should go down. Well, over the last 30 years, we've seen an explosion in the number of kids and people on these SSRIs, but the rate of depression is going up. It's not going down. As Marcia Angela observed, if, if these medications actually worked, we ought to see lower rates of depression after these medications come into wide use. And yet we're seeing higher rates of depression after these medications came into wide use. Well, my guest today, Dr. Leonard Sachs, if you want to join us, we're taking a look at antidepressants and some new data, new study that's coming up. The number's 888 914-914-9888-914-9149. Maggie, I know you've got a question or a comment for the doctor. Yeah, is this just a symptom of um, the pharmaceutical industry really having a hold on on medicine? I mean, I I, I don't know what happened to the first um, rule of first do no harm. You know, how hard is it to prescribe someone for a couple of months to have a more a rigorous exercise regimen and get some sunlight and start journaling and pray and do some volunteer work. Like these are all proven things to boost your morale and boost your mood. I, I don't know why it's always just default to like here, take a pill for a few weeks and then come back. Well, many doctors, I would say the great majority of doctors have bought into what's called the medical model. Of depression and the medical model of depression is this notion of neurotransmitter imbalance that depression is due to a deficiency of serotonin in the brain and therefore if you raise levels of serotonin you will treat depression and look I understand the appeal of that it removes the stigma mm-hmm. because a lot of people are ashamed to talk about psychiatric uh, disorder. And if you say, well, it's just a chemical imbalance, it's not your fault. You don't have to feel guilty about having depression, just a chemical imbalance. You don't have to feel any more guilty about it than you feel about having high blood pressure, you know? Yeah, you can treat high blood pressure with, without medication, you know, exercise, prayer, meditation, and salt restriction, but nobody does that. <laughs> At least that's not that's not the mainstay of therapy. The mainstay of therapy for high blood pressure is medication to lower your blood pressure. And this whole medical model serotonin idea is, hey, uh, depression is no different from high blood pressure. It's just an imbalance of chemicals. You are just a collection of chemicals. Let's restore that balance and you'll be fine. So it's very appealing. Uh, But first of all, it's not true. (laughs) This is the first problem with it. Depression is complicated, and it's, it turns out that the link to serotonin is very weak. It's not even clear how these medications actually work, but they don't actually raise serotonin in the brain. Um, when you actually look at uh, more recent work that's been done on this. Uh, so the whole medical model is based on false premises. Uh, and as, as your colleague just said, 
a spiritual problem needs a spiritual remedy. If someone is miserable because they see no meaning in their life, because they have lost their faith, because life seems empty, a medication is not going to fix that. Uh, and, And the whole premise of much of American medicine right now is it can, and that premise is wrong. Doctor, I have to take a short pause, so just hold the thought. When we come back, we'll talk more. If you want to get in, I only have Dr. Leonard Sachs, maybe another 10 minutes. Uh, if you're just joining us, we are talking about some new studies uh, showing links to some of these uh, antidepressants and suicidal ideation, amongst other things. And if you have somebody that is uh, suffering with depression or maybe on these SSRIs, you may want to turn up the radio, but feel free to join me. The number is 888-914-9149. Our conversation will continue right after this. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. This hour is sponsored by Ave Maria Mutual Funds, where financial goals are aligned with pro-life values and fund decisions are based on investment fundamentals designed to preserve and grow wealth without violating moral beliefs. More information at AveMariaFunds.com. Somehow it doesn't mean very much unless you've got someone to share it with. This is the Drew Mariani Show, the Chaplet of Divine Mercy. Coming up next. Yeah, it's about 10 minutes away, so we will certainly pray if you're on hold to do my best to get you on. If you're just tuning in, we're taking a look at antidepressants. SSRIs with Dr. Leonard Sachs. I saw an article. Uh, the headline was this overprescribed suicides haunt the dubious approval of antidepressants. And it delved into the alarming trend of overprescription of these antidepressants and its association with these increased you know, risk for suicidal ideation. Um, they, they highlighted personal stories, they incorporated, you know, critical research. But what the takeaway for me was, it shed a lot of light on the complexities and the dangers that surround the use of antidepressants. And they are, they're, they're widely prescribed. I saw that one in eight Americans are on them. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. And if you know somebody who's on these SSRIs, turn up the radio. Doctor, it's great to have you with me. You know how this works. Time goes very quickly. So let's jump right into the phones. Anne is in San Bernardino, California. She's got a question for you. Hi, Anne. Good afternoon. Hi, Drew. Hi, Dr. Sachs. Thank you for taking my call. I just wanted to make a um, comment that I was prescribed these. Um, first, I went on Prozac, then I went on to, went off of that and went on to Paxil. And um, this was in the 90s when it was, you know, maybe around for a decade and everybody was on them. Uh, at the time, that seemed to be the thing uh, to deal with overwhelming, you know, things that overwhelmed us in life. But um, it was horrible. I ended up just getting off of the the Paxil, finally the Paxil, and I did it on my own, which was the wrong thing to do, consult your doctor, but it was very difficult to get off of that. And I'm so glad that I persevered and, uh, you know, went through doctor's appointments to make sure I was doing it right, and um, I got off of it. And I ended up doing exactly what I should have done in the first place, which was change my diet and exercise. And for me, that resolved it. But uh, I just want to encourage anyone who's on these now is to please, please consult your doctor and see if there's an alternative way to, um, you know, to deal with 
the mm-hmm. symptoms of depression because I swear diet and exercise is a miracle cure. You have to be you have to persevere. You have to be yeah. persistent right. and become part of the solution yourself to your uh, to yeah. your uh, treatment. And um, amen to the and let me hold you on a, for for just a second here. I want to get the doctor in to respond to you. you. Heard her. She took a holistic approach. I've had other physicians on talking about some new science with your gut biome and how that can affect mental health. Of course, there are societal factors and other things, doctor. Your thought uh, on uh, Ann's comments. Yeah. When you go to see your doctor, be sure to speak your mind. Uh, So often when I see a patient, I'm assuming they want a medication. That's why they're coming in. I'm a medical doctor. I write prescriptions. And usually they do. They want you to write a, a, a prescription. But if you're willing to look at other options, say that up front. Say, you know, I'm, I'm not sleeping well. I'm feeling kind of hopeless. Can we talk about options other than medication? I really prefer not to use a medication. If you just say that, you'll be, I think, pleasantly surprised in many cases that many doctors are knowledgeable and uh, experienced and can uh, connect you uh, with a therapist, a, a talk therapist kind of person, or can recommend diet and exercise approaches uh, rather than just uh, talking off the, the, their, you know, uh, without a, any evidence, they can provide a, a good program for you. But you need to let them know you're open to that because, again, as a, as a family doctor, when people come into the office with a problem, the majority of them do just want a prescription. They don't want me, the family doctor, to lecture them about diet and exercise. They're busy and they're not uh, interested in hearing about lifestyle modification. But if you are, you need to make that known. Amen to that. Hey, Lisa, uh, thank you, Ann, for your call. Lisa in Orlando, Florida, you're on with Dr. Sachs. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. And I'm I'm in concurrence with the, the last caller. That's exactly what happened to me. My OBGYN retired. I had to get a new OBGYN. And I told them, I was like, I have these issues, you know, I, I don't, I don't feel right, you know, right before my menstrual cycle. And, you know, and he was like, okay, I'll, I'll give you Paxil. And I was like, what? He's like, or Prozac. And I was like, no, I'm not like crazy. <laughs> you know, I'm the most joyous person you ever met. But when they, that's my time of the month, you know, I'm, I lose it. And he was like, you should just take the pill. So I went and found another doctor. Thank, thank goodness. Because she was like, no, your hormones are off. Like, you know. Let's change your diet. Let's exercise. You know, if you want, we can do a hormone replacement, but let's get you, you know, focused on, you know, sometimes it was a godsend that, you know, I prayed over it and I encourage everyone to pray first before you seek, uh, you know, medical assistance, you know, that's, well, that's just my take on it. Lisa, thanks for sharing. Thank you for sharing so, uh, so clearly. Uh, doctor, I'm going to let you respond to her. I know time's going by pretty quickly here. Well, it kind of picks up on what you and I were talking about earlier, which is that spiritual problems need spiritual solutions. Don't go looking for a pill yeah. when there's a hole in your heart that should be filled by God. Yeah. I'm old enough to remember when priests actually did a lot of counseling. Yeah. And, uh, I think there's a role for that if the priest is right. You know, I've been in a number of parishes over my 35 years, and and some priests can do this and some can't. But if there's a priest in your parish who is knowledgeable and experienced and open to doing this sort of work, I think that's a great option to consider. 
That's really well said, Doctor. Um, Gabriel is in New Mexico. Hi, Gabriel. Good afternoon. You're on the air. Yes. Uh, peace and blessings to you both. Nice. I appreciate you taking my call. Yeah, um, I can't emphasize and and praise the the mantra um, that there's a spiritual solution. You know that that, that people seek to material science to solve for things that, that are ultimately an affliction of the spirit. And, uh, I myself am trying to guide my wife to, um, you know, the, the presence of, uh, you know, the, the, I, I use different language. However, I don't want to turn anybody, any of your listeners off just by some of the language that I choose to use. However, doctor, how, how, how might you reconcile the material sciences with the spiritual solutions that, that we're pointing people and, and the listeners to on this show. All right. Let me hold you on that. It's a great point, Gabriel. Doctor, I only have about a minute for you, so I'm going to give you the final thoughts. On that. Sure. Uh, so we've learned a lot about brain science, but I can't overstate how much we don't know. And this notion that depression can be reduced, reduced to one molecule of serotonin, the feeling is that might be, it's not true. Humans are a lot more complicated. Uh, and uh, you got to have respect for the complexity of the human experience and respect for the complexity of the human soul. Yeah. Uh, Mary is on Xanax. She wants to get off it. Any advice very quickly? All right. Don't have the doctor. Doctor's down. I think, doctor, thank you. I'm going to leave you at that. I hear my bumper now rolling. Mary, it's a good question. Talk to your doctor. That's for sure. Uh, Dr. Leonard Sachs can be found at leonardsachs.com, author of a number of books. You'll find them there as well, and he's a very gifted psychologist and physician. Grateful for his time today. The Chapel of Divine Mercy straight ahead. Let's pray.